Hello. Hello. Welcome to Salem the Podcast. We are your hosts and favorite Salem tour guides. My name is Jeffrey Lilly. And I am Sarah Black. And today we are going to be talking about a local, somewhat local, local-ish, former I, local. I would say local is a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> she was only here for a few years, but she definitely left an impression. Absolutely. So today we are talking about Charlotte Fortin, the first African-American teacher here in Salem to work for the public schools, a very vocal abolitionist, a writer, a poet, and a member of the Salem Female Anti-Slavery Society. It's pretty cool. She is a badass woman, that's for sure. We've got a, a very cool historical figure to, to talk about today. Looking forward to that. But of course, uh, before we do, it's tour time. Tour time. I get to talk about my tours. It's tour time. I have I have started hitting the streets again. Oh. Jeffrey's back. I'm back and better than ever. How was it? It's good. It's good. Um, it's been a little drizzly the past couple days, which was a little rough. As I say, if you recall, my first tour was done in the snow. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, but had some great people on tour. Had some podcast listeners. Uh, so shout out to you guys. Thank you for for jumping on the tours. Uh, my first tour was fun, though. Um, I had these four women, and they were from the South. I think, like, Florida, Georgia area. Uh-huh. Uh, sweet as pie. They're, they were funny. They were joking. Um, but one of them, and I, I'm not sure what the dynamic was, but maybe, like, uh, two mother and two daughters. Uh-huh. I'm not quite sure. Uh, they were definitely all family, and they were all, uh, so they're all sort of digging at each other as well, right? And uh, one of the older woman was just a little slower, you know, and, uh, like uh, speed wise. Yeah. Just speed yeah. wise. Just, she was just took a little extra time to get to the next stop. Yeah. Not a lot. You know, it's not like waiting for ages, but, uh, they just kept like making fun of her. Like, hurry up. Oh my on. God. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, 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 uh, and it hurt her, her adorable little southern accent. She's like, no, don't worry about me. It's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll get there. It's fine. Oh, my goodness. And she just and she keeps going, I'm just a little tomato. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> right? She's like, it's a, I'm just a little tomato. It's okay. I'm just. <laughs> and, and she says it like several times. Oh, my I'm, God. I'm sitting here like, what, what, what is she? And I'm thinking it must be some. Like some slang. Right? Something. And then. Uh, her her family member was like, "Come on, tomato, you, you can." Do-. And I was like, what? "Oh my goodness!" And so I have, so I, I'm like, "Okay, I need to know like what's with the tomato thing." And she like, deadpan looks at me and she goes, "I'm just a little tomato. I'm just trying to catch up." Oh my god! No. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Just trying to catch up. That's amazing. <laughs> it was so cool. That is. So amazing. I don't even know what to say. That's like a really cheesy joke, but like done so well. It was. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Like super dad joke, right? Yeah. I'm just trying to catch up. And I was like, oh my God. That's so funny. So funny. That's so funny. I almost died. I was like, I I don't know what I was expecting her to say, but it was not. That. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you, Southern yeah. ladies, for making our day once it was, again. It was pretty good. It was wow. Pretty so, yeah, happy to be out giving tours again. Did I ever tell you about, um, I had a 
decent sized like family group and it was probably during the summer so it was a bit busy and the father was like lagging behind like we were about to start the tour and everyone's like where's dad where's dad dad's name was either dave or dale mm-hmm. and everyone had t-shirts on that says we're with dale and when he got there, his T-shirt said, I am Dale. <laughs> and they said that they wear it all the time when they go to places like Salem or they go to Disney World uh-huh. a lot. Th- th- those so, are pretty big down there. Yeah. yeah. And just to make sure if they do lose him, like everyone knows who he's with. <laughs> he's the one he always just wanders off. So funny. Like People that, are funny. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty good, but wildly entertaining uh, tourists as usual. That's great. Yeah. And oh, big speaking of entertaining tourists, shout out to Sprite. I yeah. mean, she just started listening to the podcast like I want to say a week or so ago. So it'll probably take her a long time to get to this point. But she came to Salem. Um, I don't drove. She, yeah, I don't remember if this was her first time or not. It may have been. I think maybe it had been ages ago, but. Uh, she was telling me she doesn't fly, so she lives in Arizona. She drove over here. Yeah, and like marathon the podcast. Like no, the I don't time. know. I think she bought a one-way ticket. Her friend bought a one-way ticket. Yeah. She she, <laughs> she bought a one-way ticket for her friend. She's like, you don't get a return time. We're yeah, just going to stay here until we want. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, she was great. She was very, very vibrant um, individual. And she happened to be staying at the Hawthorne Hotel and she like right off the bat when she got up to the tour, she took both our tours, um, immediately starts talking about how she's a medium and how she reads auras and she's like the the dead guy she saw in the hallway. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say that story, (laughs) how she's like, so she's talking about being at the Hawthorne and how she, you know, feels a little bit of stuff here and there, but nothing too crazy, nothing scary or anything, nothing threatening. And this is how she said, she said, I'm talking to this guy in the hallway. Um, his name is Walter. And all of a sudden, this woman pops out of her room. It was like, my husband's name was Walter. And he died like last year or two years ago. And I had to like, wait, 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 Sprite, back up. You weren't actually talking to a man in the hallway. You were talking to a ghost in the hallway named Walter who happened to be the name of the husband of a woman who was right next to you. It was just, it was so bizarre. Yeah, It was hilarious. She told me the same story in the same way. And I was like, you should start with the, the fact that it's not, not a person, not a person. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. She just casually said, I'm talking to this guy in the hallway. But you weren't, you were talking to an apparition that, you saw in the hallway. Oh, too funny. Yeah, it was it was a wild ride. It was a fun tour. Thank you guys again for making our work days more enjoyable. Absolutely. And uh, specifically, Patreon people. Oh, yes. Patreon shout outs per usual. To our favorite Patreon listeners, being all the Patreon listeners, not... You're all our favorites. Yes. A cut above the rest. A big, big shout out to... Sydney Kirby. Thank you, Sydney. Were those um were they Furby or Kirby dolls? Remember the little fluffy gizmo looking things from the nineties? Furby. Furby? Was Cur- it Furby? Kirby's the, the Oh Kirby's a vacuum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that what, is that what that noise was? Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> well done. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well Sydney Kirby. Thank you, Sydney. And then after that, Ooh, 
Sydney. Sorry, I had to do that. From Scream. Uh, Hello, Sydney. <laughs> that was actually really good. Uh, okay. Follow that one, bud. Next, we have Nessie, and I'm fairly certain that uh, Nessie came to the live show at Far From the Tree. Ah, thank you, Nessie. They were sitting, like, straight in front of us, if I recall correctly. We hope we're getting this person right. (laughs) If I hadn't had too many ciders, which, well. Those ciders were good. They probably get Loch Ness Monster all the time. I'd pretend like if that was my name. I'd Heck be yeah, like, I'd be like, that's what I'm named for. <laughs> you know, like, I'm the Loch Ness Monster. Get a shirt that says, I'm the Loch Ness Monster. I love <laughs> it. And a big shout out to Stacy Wines. Thank you, Stacy. I hope I said that last name right. If we did not, you know what to do. Shoot us a hateful message. <laughs> send, send it to Sarah. <laughs> Thanks, Stacy. After Stacy, Austin McKean. Austin McKean. Thank you, Austin. Appreciate you. Uh oh. Oh. <laughs> a big, big thank you to, and no judgment here, Sarah Vendetti. I say no judgment because she doesn't have an H on her name. We can still be friends. Sarah's are equally as important no matter how their name is spelled. So thank you, Sarah Vendetti. Anyway, you're going to finally change your tone on that? I think so. Maybe, maybe she's the one that did it for me. Okay. I can be accepting. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. You're welcome. Just kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sarah Vendetti, not Sarah Black. Yep. We appreciate all of you. Thank you for uh, signing up for the Patreon. And if anyone else, of course, is curious, check out com, and you can be part of the crew. Party Coven. Something. I like Coven. That's cool. Right? <laughs> The podcast coven. Ooh, pod coven. Like it. Last thing I'll mention before we jump into today's episode, uh, our friend John reached out to me to let us know that they are coming out with a second edition of Affliction Salem 1692, the board game that we played with uh, Mike Vitka and Sebastian Crane. They're coming out with another edition. Well, that means we're going to have to play again. I think so. I oh. wonder how they're going to change it. Like, what are you going to do? Maybe they'll make it less complicated, hopefully. <laughs> like, once we got around to it, I think it was very simple. It was, it was, the, the turn-based thing was a little more nuanced than I, I think we initially realized. Yeah. Because we all took a turn. And then you took turns. And then you took turns. Yeah. 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 It was complicated. But it was fun. It was very well, I think it was well-researched and based on, you know, the actual people. Yeah. So it makes me wonder, like, are they going to, you know, do you get this edition and get, like, other people? Like, They, they, <laughs> they covered most of the people. I know. Yeah. So and, I'm curious. And I liked, uh, maybe, wait, shoot, what did we totally fear? Was it the fear tokens? The fear tokens. We, we never even used we them. Use them. So who knows, maybe uh, edition number two will have no fear. Or maybe they added something else into it to make it more complicated. We'll see. We'll have to track. We'll track it down. We still got to play Salemopoly. We have that on the schedule. Yeah. All right. Okay. Down to business. Down to business. So again, we are talking about Charlotte Fortin today. Uh, You may have also heard her referred to as Charlotte Fortin Grimkey. 
That yes. will be her married name, but we'll get to that later. She was born in Philadelphia, August 17th, 1837, to Mary Virginia Wood and Robert Bridges Fortin. And might I say, she was born into a very, very prominent free black family. Like, I, I can't even, as I started digging into her lineage, crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, of course, this is uh, in the North. It, uh, so they are, they are free blacks. It is 1837, so uh, we have not yet hit the Civil War. So that uh, obviously plays a major role in uh, the, the early years and in, in her whole life. Not saying that there weren't slaves in the North, uh, because there were definitely people breaking the rules, but a vast majority of them lived down South. At this point, we're talking millions of enslaved people. And um, I guess we should also put in a little bit of a trigger warning. We're going to be covering some um, sensitive topics. We'll be talking about racism today. Yeah, the the topic does heavily involve... uh, uh slavery in the South and the Civil War and, and the ideas and concepts that revolve around that. Exactly. But uh, Charlotte Fordon, uh, so we'll get into her whole life, but uh, she is important. She does spend some time in Salem, uh, which is sort of where she becomes uh, uh, important in the context of Salem history. But prior to that, want to cover a little bit about her early childhood? Yeah. Let's talk about her roots and where she's coming from, the environment that she would have grown up in. Mm-hmm. So... On her father's side, his family goes back several generations of free black individuals and heavily concentrated in the Philadelphia area. Her aunt, her aunts, and grandmother were founding members of the Philadelphia Female Anti-Slavery Society. Her father, Robert Fortin, and brother-in-law were very established abolitionists, and her grandfather who I'm just like kind of taken aback by, um, was an OG abolitionist, like way back when in Philadelphia, and a very wealthy sailmaker. So her grandfather, James Fortin, um, I got kind of excited when I was reading about him. His biographer, the first person to write a biography about this man, was in my history program at UMass Boston. She was a teacher there. Oh, it's gonna like I was gonna say, a not like not a student, but okay. like in so like one of your she professors. was. Yeah, oh, well, I cool. didn't have her okay. as a professor, but like okay. I saw the name and I was yeah, like, like, wait a minute, holy crap! Like that's kind of cool. So, like I knew UMass Boston had a decent program, but mm-hmm. like, damn, that's pretty neat. So, if you are interested in reading about this gentleman, um, I I think it would definitely be worth your time. Uh, James Fortin Sr., as he goes by. So this would have been Charlotte's grandfather. Uh, He became a sailmaker and an entrepreneur, opened up this business. He had um, pioneered a certain type of sail that made him a ton of money. And when he died, he left that fortune to his family. He was also well-known for his charitable efforts, uh, put a lot of money back into the community. But this is like a very, very well-established, like in the higher echelons of Philadelphia Society family, the Fortins. So it's like no joke that that she's, we say she grew up sort of well-privileged. It's, it's, 
both privileged uh, for uh, being a, a black person at that point in history, un- unequivocally, but also <laughs> a cut above and beyond most people, uh, e- even in, in that society. Even with all that wealth, though, and that status, she will find uh, prejudice in life, and she will be denied certain things because of the color of her skin. So yeah. we can't forget that. On her mother's side, um, it, it looks a little different. Mary Virginia Wood, Charlotte's mother, was actually born into slavery. Yeah, she'd been born a slave. In North Carolina in 1815. So you're decades away from the Civil War. This is a really weird situation. Uh Uh-huh. She was the daughter of Edith or Eddie Wood and... Who, who happened to be enslaved by a man named James Wood. And her father was James Cathcart Johnston of Hayes Plantation. So Hayes Plantation actually does still stand in North Carolina um, for anyone that's interested. But yeah, when I first read that, I was like, um, this doesn't look very good because we all know that there was a lot of wasn't very good yeah it there was a lot of situations um in while these people are being held in captivity and where they are forced into relations that they do not choose we can't say that this is one of those circumstances for sure uh they ended up having four children together and he will james johnston will secretly emancipate mary and their four daughters and move them up to Philadelphia. So that's kind of the extent of what we know of their relationship. So it's, it's a, obviously when we look at it from our, you know, point of view, slave and slave owner and, you know, how how that works. But, you know, at the end, um, yes, he does the right thing. Partly. Um, There are far worse situations. But they do end up uh, moving north, so there we go. But unfortunately, her mother um, passed away. Yeah, so Mary, um, her mother was, Charlotte's mother was 17 when they moved up to Philadelphia. Within months, Mary Virginia Wood had signed on to be a member of the Interracial Philadelphia Female Anti-Slavery Society, as well as the Female Vigilance Association. Mm-hmm. They basically raised money to feed, clothe, and shelter fugitive slaves. So immediately active in those abolitionist circles in Philadelphia. She ended up marrying Robert Fortin in 1836, so about four years after she moves to Philadelphia. They have Charlotte just a year later, and then they get pregnant with their second child, who unfortunately died after less than two months. Mary had contracted consumption or tuberculosis. Yep. Yep. And uh, unfortunately does pass away when Charlotte is just three years old. 1640. So sad, but again, signs of the times. Yeah, it happens quite often. Charlotte was then raised by her mom's mother, Grandma Eddie Wood, Uh alongside her aunt, who was only six years her senior. Her grandma passed away about six years after that in 1846, 
And at that point, she was kind of shuffled around between various members of the Fortin family. So again, just think about the environment that she's being brought up into. I mean, these are brilliant individuals. They are active in these abolitionist circles. They are active in their communities. They are well-connected. I mean, she would have been surrounded by so much education and inspiration. Definitely set her up for what she would... Success. Yeah, the yeah. path that she would follow. You can really see that the early influences on her life navigated her uh, into the, the role that she took on uh, as she grew up. I tell you, I feel like there needs to be a whole... They could do a whole TV series on her early years and like the years of her family. Cause it's just so like, there's just so much going on. It's also interesting. Um, we can talk about this when she gets married, but that family as well. Oh yeah. The, the connections don't stop. They yeah. just keep yeah. going. The connect, the connections she has to very powerful people in this time. It just, it does not cease continues throughout her life. And even in the Salem, mm -hmm. which we'll see in a second. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I didn't, I knew like a little bit about her, right? Like, oh, she'd been to Salem, she'd gone to school here, she was an educator. And, you know, that was, I knew like just a little bit more than that. But I didn't know who she lived with, Uh huh. which I was like, oh, I, that makes sense. So she was 16 when she was denied entry at a local white school mm -hmm. in Philadelphia and had to look elsewhere for education. So she moved to Salem, Salem, Massachusetts. That's in 1854. She was the only African-American in a school of 200 students. The Higginson School for Grammar, which I assume is Reverend Higginson. Probably. 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 Yeah. And she had been sent up here uh, to attend that school and uh, she was sent to live with is sort of like the wrong term um i think that that would make sense i feel like send is like a like go away you like know? a punishment yeah yeah which it wasn't right she was given the opportunity yes, opportunity to, to come up here attend school and live with the remond family Yes, specifically Charles, Charles lennox remond and his wife amy matilda casey so these two had actually adopted that daughter, or sorry, that aunt that Charlotte had grown up with, Annie Wood. So this would have been her sister, her mother's sister. Again, only six years older than her, so they kind of grew up together. And she had been adopted by Charles and Amy Remond. She had already moved out to Salem. Like the families had a pretty decent connection with each other. So it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Remonists, Remond, uh, the Remond family, uh, also uh, uh, free black people living here in Salem. They have, uh, that family has a lot of historical uh, impact on the city and get into that in a whole episode uh, of their own. Yeah, we've got a whole episode planned for the Remen family. Charles Lennox Remen, who she's going to be living in the house with, uh, very brilliant orator. Uh, he was a very vocal abolitionist, a lecturer, and his sister, Sarah Remond, was also pretty well established in her own right, and she spent a lot of time over in England. And their parents, 
are, I think, the most well-known remens, the ones that actually lived at Hamilton Hall as caterers. Yes. So we've got, we'll get into all of that in, I'm not sure when it's on the schedule, but it's on the schedule. It's on the schedule. Yes. So she moves up to Salem, uh, attends this grammar school. Um, I saw sort of the, uh, the some of the things that, that she learned, normal history, geography. I also saw cartography, which I thought was a little weird. Oh, that makes sense. Map making. Yeah, back then. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what I expected, but it just jumped out at me as like a, like a clearly a non-standard thing that, that we don't. I was going to say something that we don't really come across yeah, very yeah. often, but. It's like, oh, yes, I went to my history class, went to my mathematics class, and my cartography class. Well, imagine people back then seeing that you have to go to keyboard class. Right. Or like typing <laughs> class, right? Yeah, Same we thing. We don't do that anymore. So while she's here, Charlotte actually began keeping a journal. This would be published after her death, several times actually, multiple editions. She'll keep the diary until 1864. Yeah, there's different sort of chapters yeah. um, in it. But she does write fairly regularly, and she also tends to write when there is something of note. right? So like, yes, there's a day by day, but it's also... Uh, significant events that yeah, pop up yeah. which is which is very uh, interesting to have because it's I don't know um, oftentimes history focuses on on the more significant events right the larger overarching things that have like widespread right but there's things that happen every day in, in history and, and some of these small things and getting her journal and getting to see how like how she thought and felt about that. I think is almost more important than some of those big events because like this is just how these things just affect just a person. A person. Yeah. There's no comparison to like getting their words right from them. And speaking of her words, I kind of want to read the first entry. So this would have been recorded from Salem on May 24th, 1854. She wrote, Rose at five... The sun was shining brightly through my window. I felt vexed with myself that he should have risen before me. (laughs) I I love that. I shall not let him have that advantage again very soon. How bright and beautiful are these May mornings. The air is so pure and balmy. The trees are in full blossom and the little birds sing sweetly. I stand by my window listening to their music, but suddenly remember that I have an arithmetic lesson, which employs me until breakfast, then to school. That sounds horrible. Wait, I just, no, what do you mean? I, I think this sounds great. Oh no, the, the writing is great, the, the understanding is great, but to have an arithmetic lesson before breakfast? Oh, I don't think that's that bad. Oh my It's God. motivational. Oh, that's... <laughs> God, I could just, I read that and I was like, oh, I read arithmetic lesson before breakfast. And I was like, what do you? See, I read this and oh. was so excited because it reminds me of walking through the McIntyre district in May. And like she's describing what we get to see still to this day, like being able to walk down the street and hear the birds sing and see the flowers. Have an arithmetic lesson before breakfast. Have that balmy, Ugh. pure air. I love it. Ugh. I I, lo- I adore this so much, but this was her first recording, so it's it's curious t- that she started keeping the journal after she got to Salem and not before, but 
you know, she's in a new place, probably motivated to uh, record her thoughts and experiences. So the very next entry of Charlotte's journal sheds light on a very significant event. Yeah. Um, as we said, there are certain things that start to pop up in her recordings. And this definitely played a role in motivating her to become a vocal abolitionist. It was the trial of Anthony Burns. He was a fugitive slave who had escaped bondage in Virginia and was captured while in Boston and put on trial under the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850. Want to read some of those entries? Sure thing. May 25th, 1854. Uh, Did not intend to write this evening but have just heard something that is worth recording, something which must ever rouse in the mind of every true friend of liberty and humanity, feelings of the deepest indignation and sorrow. Another fugitive, Anthony Burns, from bondage has been arrested, a poor man who, for two short months, had trod the soil and breathed the air of the old Bay State, was arrested like a criminal in the streets of her capital, and is now kept strictly guarded. A double police force is required, the military are in readiness, and all this done to prevent a man who God has created in his own image from regaining that freedom with which he, in common with every human being, is endowed. I can only hope and pray most earnestly that Boston will not again disgrace herself by sending him back to a bondage worse than death or rather that she will redeem herself from the disgrace with which his arrest has brought upon her. Those are some heavy words for a 16 year old. Yeah. 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 I, I, when I, when I saw that sort of, sort of read it, I was like, that's, that's a lot. She's so well-spoken. Yeah. But also, you know, we, we see uh, kids these days, literally a, a month ago, two months ago, protesting, um, and a lot of people are like, oh, kids these days, you know, and you're like, no, dude, like. They have it in them. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, Anthony Burns, the courts ruled in favor of the slaveholders, and he was indeed sent back down uh, to Virginia. Do you want to read a snippet from that day that she she hears the verdict? The June 2nd? Yes. Today, Massachusetts has again been disgraced. Again, she has shrewd her submission to the slave power. And oh, with what deep sorrow do we think of what doubtless will be the fate of that poor man when he is again consigned to the horrors of slavery? With what scorn must that government be regarded, which cowardly assembles thousands of soldiers to satisfy the demands of slaveholders, to deprive of his freedom a man created in God's own image, whose sole offense is the color of his skin. And if resistance is offered to this outrage, these soldiers are to shoot down American citizens without mercy. And this by the express orders of a government which proudly boasts of being the freest in the world. This on the very soil where the revolution of 1776 began. And that entry is wrapped up with, I can write no more. A cloud seems hanging over me, over all our persecuted race, which nothing can dispel. 
I think a lot of people like to tout Boston as like this very free place that people during that time could flock to. North in general as well. Like you, I always had the, the idea that the North is for like, you can be free, like, you know, and that was like the, the yeah, not really. Well, yeah. They, yeah. They used it as like a crowning glory. Like, yeah. look at us. We're so good. Yeah. Uh, Massachusetts in particular, being one of the first colonies and being founded on and Salem and Boston were pretty renowned for being uh, very white and Boston in particular, pretty segregated. Mm -hmm. Um, You have certain pockets within the community that are quote unquote reserved for uh, African-Americans. So it's a it's a bit of a catch twenty two. You know, she can live up here as a free person, uh, with other free black people, uh, is allowed to attend school and learn and and be educated. But she's the only one there. But she's the only one there, and she still sees you know with, with all of her her privilege living in Salem, and she's like here is someone who just like me just happened to be born hundred miles south, and and that's the difference definitely played a role in shaping her understanding as she was going down to Boston during the trial. I don't know if she attended the trial in particular, Mm -hmm. uh, but she definitely went into the city while it was going on. And she just like casually had dinner at uh, William Lloyd Garrison's house with her, um, with Charles Remen's sister, Sarah Remen. Mm -hmm. So they had just gone down to Boston, gone down to the city and had lunch or dinner at William Lloyd Garrison's house. Very well-known abolitionist. It's just the people that she's meeting and the circles that she's in. Before we move forward with her education, I did want to mention one little quick diary entry from May 28th of that year because it just caught my eye. She says, and this is written on a Sunday, a lovely day. In the morning, I read in the Bible and wrote letters. In the afternoon, took a quiet walk in Harmony Grove. I saw that. I was like, oh, my God. I do that all the time. That's what I do. And as I passed by many an unknown grave, the question, who sleeps below, rose often in my mind and led to a long train of thoughts. She said, I love to walk on the Sabbath, for all is so peaceful. The noise and labor of everyday life has ceased, and in perfect silence we can commune with nature and with nature's God. I read that. I was like, this is my Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I do. It's so cool cool. to think about. Charlotte Fortin was walking through Harmony Grove. Very nice. So she began her education in Salem at the Higginson Grammar School for Young Women, as you said. That was a private academy. And again, she is the only black woman to that point to ever be admitted. She then attended Salem Normal School to be trained as a teacher. And this is actually the precursor of Salem State University. So Salem State University today considers her to be uh, the first African-American graduate from the university. Uh, Obviously, it has sort of evolved and changed, but the institute was the Salem Normal School at that point in time. So it was an 18-month teacher training course, effectively. After which, she taught at Epps Grammar School. So not only the first uh, 
African-American graduate from Salem State, but then the first African-American teacher in public schools here in Salem. Hence why she commands such a reputation yeah. in this town. Absolutely. And she had only been here for a couple of years. Yeah. And, and again, uh, that is such a stark contrast to some of the things that she's also experiencing and seeing uh, here in New England. I can only imagine. Like, it's just, like, I, I can't quite wrap my brain around the, the dichotomy of that. Like, I am able to have these positions. And, well, it's just hypocrisy. Yeah. But, um, unfortunately, her time at the school was pretty short lived as she contracted tuberculosis and departed after just two years and returned to her family in Philadelphia. I saw that and got super nervous because, like, her mom had died of TB. So I'm like, "Uh, hold on, Charlotte. Uh, Before she left, she was a member of the uh, Salem Female Anti Slavery Society. Remember, that was a meeting in the Salem Lyceum Hall. Yes. So kind of a cool crossover with our previous episode of the Salem Lyceum. They were huge supporters and hosted the Salem Female Anti-Slavery Society. So who knows how many times she was in that building. Kind of cool to think about. Yeah. And if I recall, the Female Anti-Slavery Society here in Salem was the first of its kind. Yes, I believe so. Um, and I stumbled across uh, Women in America, uh, so a, a copy of what their constitution was. Um, and it's it's strongly worded, which like it should be, but it, it's, it's not one of those things that sort of like subtly beats around the bush. Um, starts off with, whereas it is our belief that the principle upon which all slavery is founded is that many, in some cases, innocently hold property in man is a false principle. It goes on to list some of their other ideas, humanity, nature, family, like that. But then, uh, sort of it lists, these are our principles. And the first one is, slavery should be immediately abolished. For if to hold slave is a sin, to emancipate them immediately must be a duty. The people of color, enslaved or free, have a perfect right to a home in this country and nothing shall be done to discourage them from wishing to remain here. It's like, no joke. Just cutting right to the point. That's nice to see. I don't know. I feel like so often the discussion is not as hard-lined as, as, as this. It's like they don't talk about like the fiery aspects as much, yeah. you know? So that was, that was pretty cool to to read there, knowing that she was also a member of, of that organization. But, yeah, her time in Salem is, is cut short, unfortunately. Yeah, she wasn't here very long, but it is fun to think about what streets she walked. Uh, if I recall, I, I believe Charles um, Lennox Remond lived, obviously he grew up in Hamilton Hall with his parents, but I believe that he lived in that area, um, like Broad Street area. So she would have been walking through the McIntyre district. Of course, it wasn't known as that yet, but I mean, she would have been walking past all these McIntyre buildings. She would have walked down by the water, seen Derby Wharf, all the wharves at that point. She would have walked through Harmony Grove on Sundays as like a way to relax and find peace. It's just cool to learn about these really, significant historical figures knowing that they walked the same streets that we do today and what they what they would have seen i was talking to a um 
another tour guide a while ago, and he's uh, he's, he's a big architecture fan. So uh, much, and I might have mentioned this actually during. I think you said something about the, this. Yeah, and he's like, he's like, he when he walks on the street, he's like, I can pinpoint sort of what it. If I take away that building's at a late eighteen hundred, so if it's eighteen fifties, like this is what would have stood here. Yeah, and he just sort of visualizes as he walks down the street. And I was like, that's that's a lot, but yeah, that's. Whenever I find myself in like a hot spot of town, I just go through in my mind the different centuries because there's literally centuries worth of history right in front of your face. You just have to know what what you're looking for. So cool. So she moves back to Philadelphia with her family, uh, rests up, gets healthy. Uh, she really dove into her poetry at this point and just writing in general. She was published in The Liberator, which we mentioned before, and the Anglo-African magazine. And a really cool, fun fact, full circle thing with this, um, her publishing being published in The Liberator, which was the largest um, anti-slavery publication in the country at this point. Her grandfather... The sailmaker? Yeah. James Fortin mm-hmm. had been one of the early supporters of The Liberator. And now she's being published in it. That's pretty cool. And now she's being published in it, which is really cool. When she's healthy enough, though, she doesn't stay in Philadelphia too long. She goes down to South Carolina. This is 1862. So the Civil War is going on. Yeah, so this is in the midst of the Civil War. Uh, she goes down um, both as uh, an educator and as a nurse as well. Um, doesn't seem as though she goes down as a nurse. She goes down as an educator and then also ends up uh, being a nurse. Um, so, obviously, uh, Civil War uh, is taking place. Um, it's not... So, obviously, uh, uh, North and South, right, sort of our, our general concept. But there's different territories in different places that uh, either during the war the North takes or are aligned with the North, uh, different places like that. So she ends up going uh, down to the South Carolina Sea Islands, so coastal islands off South Carolina, which had been taken by the North and were then controlled by. So she wasn't uh, in... Like enemy territory or anything like that. Yeah, Yeah, she was part of the what they called the Port Royal Experiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically what was happening is once the Union came in and took control of an area and they essentially freed the enslaved people, um, uh, a lot of them were never given any type of education. Yeah. So she, along with several other teachers, and I might I also say she's the first black teacher to join the mission, Yes, uh, they go down there to help set up schools. She resided at the Seaside Plantation on St. Helena Island, which, again, still stands if you are in the area. And she will publish a series of essays on her time there called Life on the Sea Islands. These would be published in the Atlantic Monthly, or now known as the Atlantic, which people still read today. It's pretty cool. Uh, I enjoyed reading some of her entries um into this and uh i had read somewhere in an article about her that um so these aren't my words i can't remember where i saw this she found it very jarring that she had more in common with the people who were socially 
aligned with her than the people who were ethnically aligned with her. She sort of thought she'd go down and see like all these these black people similar to her, and they weren't similar to her at all. Their their life experience, her life experience, had put her in an entirely different role, and she found that to be uh, uncomfortable and rather jarring in a, in a few places, which is also interesting that how that role had played out. But it's funny that you bring that up because I stumbled on a. A TV special, which is free and open to the public. Okay. Uh, it came out in the 80s. The only, reas- the only reason I found it was because I was searching through like old newspapers and I saw her being mentioned in like the 1980s. I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> and it was um, a PBS movie that was premiering part of their American Playhouse series. And it was called Fort Charlotte Fortin's Mission experiment in freedom i didn't watch the whole thing i definitely want to finish it because it's pretty well done but it details her experience down in port royal and you see this moment where she comes in she's got like a bonnet on and a corset and like a full-blown like mid-19th century setup right and she is getting side eyes from the formerly enslaved people because it's like what like that's so foreign to them yeah, go check out the PBS cool. PBS movie, uh, Charlotte Fortin's Mission, Experiment in Freedom. During this time, she also became friends with Robert Gold Shaw of the Massachusetts 54th Regiment, which I feel like we have to mention that because yeah. everyone knows about the 54th, although I've never seen that movie. It's called Glory. Am I right? Or Fury? I don't. I know. I don't know. Have you seen the movie? No. No, I know what you're talking about. We should probably yeah. watch the movie. Yeah, it's called Glory, 1989. It's got Denzel Washington in it. But basically, the 54th Regiment was... Uh, they are an uh, infantry regiment in uh, the Union Army during the Civil War. The second African-American regiment following the first Kansas. There's a, there's a big memorial on Boston Common? A big memorial. Yeah. Yeah. A beautiful memorial that like won awards and stuff. Yeah, it's the bronze. Um, it sits right across from the state house. Yeah. Um, facade is the wrong word. What am I? Relief. Relief. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. It's it's so well yeah. done. The carver actually used um, like local individuals from Boston as models as models oh, for those that. faces. So when you see those faces, they're real, they're real faces. That's pretty neat. Yeah. And I think it just got set back up because it was taken down and was being like cleaned and okay. um, restored. And it, it's back in action now. Very neat. So she becomes friends with the commander, uh, Robert Goldshaw, which unfortunately, if you don't know the story of the 54th, sorry, we're about to spoil it. But they do end up, um, most of them end up being killed in battle. And it's absolutely horrible the confederate soldiers who took them over kind of like just discarded their bodies and it's just like looked back on as like a horrible mistreatment obviously the civil war was bloody and just all around bad but this is one of those instances that really sticks out cut above the rest yeah it's it's why we have the memorial it's why they have the glory movie yeah Um, and i'm sure it left an impression on charlotte as well 
she also acts as a, as a nurse for them as well. Um, so she's striking up her friendship with him. Then is employed is not the right word. I was going to say employed as a nurse. She volunteered as a nurse, which I guess a lot of women did. Back then, yeah. But it was not a, a paid position. Um, it was just considered to be like the the right thing to do. Yeah. To, to volunteer your time as, as a nurse. So she as was, a, a woman's job. Yeah, yeah. Because you can't get paid. I, don't <laughs> I wonder uh, if she ever came into contact with Clara Barton. I, I, I tried to look for that i don't i don't know i'm sure at some point they would have known of each other my right? guess is. like if she'd been up here and say so she also i don't it seems though she never come back to salem they must have right like maybe probably yeah yeah same circles yeah like maybe at lunch together or <laughs> right I, I, I was sort of thinking i was like someone oh this is i can imagine them in some area and they were introduced or something so after the war, she got a job working for the Treasury Department in Washington, D.C. Uh, definitely a little bit on the incline here. She was responsible for recruiting teachers there and actually did briefly return to teaching in the early 1870s. She worked for one year at the Paul Lawrence Dunbar High School in D.C., uh, but that didn't last very long. Charlotte took a job as a clerk in the Treasury Department. And shortly after that, she meets her husband. Yeah, 1878. So she's living in Washington, D.C., and she meets Francis J. Grimke. And uh, if that name is familiar to you, then maybe you've done a, a tad bit more uh, abolitionist research than the average person and uh, understands that he is the descendants, the, what, a grand? He's the nephew, nephew sorry. of the Grimke sisters. sisters. So I'm sure you've probably heard of the Grimke sisters. They are uh, per, perhaps, I don't say the most. One of the most, one yeah. One of the most uh, pr- prolific and well-known and successful uh uh, leaders in the early early days of, of the abolitionist movement um, they were from the south yeah i was gonna say they were also white yeah they were white and from the south and from a slave owning family yeah and realized that what uh, they were doing or their family was doing the conditions in they lived were, were uh, wrong and uh spoke out against it lashed out mm-hmm. i mean they they didn't just you know, uh, they they modeled the rest of their lives, their career, their family, their history. They 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 doubled down on that, especially for the time. Incredibly hard and, and incredibly incredibly vehemently. Um, so. So their brother had had several children, mixed race children. Yeah. And one of them was Francis Grimke. When Charlotte met him, he was working as a minister at the 15th Street Presbyterian Church in D.C., which I believe still stands. And they got married in 1878. Charlotte was 41. And he was 28. I literally <laughs> wrote in my notes, hells yeah, go Charlotte. <laughs> I was like, what? It's like, wait, I, I saw um, his, uh, when he was born, like before I saw the, the age difference and like 
maybe I should be taking math lessons before breakfast because I'm not good at math. And I was like, wait, hold on. I'm like, that's not, that can't be. I was like, oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> Get him. She scooped him up. Yeah, yeah. He's like, look, it's a little hot 28-year-old minister. I'm, I'm going to get myself some of that. I love it. <laughs> they had one daughter together, Theodora Cornelia, who unfortunately died less than five months after birth. Yeah. But they stayed married. They continued to be married. Uh, he continued his ministry, um, and she continued uh, her job and, and, and uh, her role as, as an activist as well. Yep. She wrote. She published. Uh, her poetry as well. Um, did did you see the the poem she wrote about? Uh, so it's just on that went to the the National Poetry Foundation page, and she writes a poem on Charles Sumner. Ooh, let's see. How long is it? It's like it's not that long, but it's it's a little weird. Um, so I guess uh, she knew him because obviously, right? And uh, so he's a senator. Uh, so if uh, you're from Massachusetts or New England, the, the the Sumner Tunnel uh, is. We have that named after him. I guess she saw his uh, his apartment and was like so inspired. <laughs> she, I love that she wrote a poem. I'll 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 be brief, but I I was like, oh, what poems are done by by Charlotte Fortin? And I'm like, wait, this is a poem about Charles Sumner? Okay, sorry, sorry. Um, <clears throat> only the casket left, the jewel gone whose noble presence filled these stately rooms and made this spot a shrine to where pilgrims came, stranger and friend, to bend in reverence before the great pure soul that knew no guile, to listen to the wise and gracious words that fell from lips whose rare, exquisite smile gave tender beauty to the grand, grave face. Upon these pictured walls we see thy peers, poet and saint and sage, painter and king, a glorious band, they shine upon us still. Still gleam in marble the enchanting forms whereupon thy artist eye delighted dwelt. Thy favorite psyche drops her matchless face, listening, methinks, for, for the beloved voice which nevermore on earth shall sound her praise. There's two other paragraphs that continue on. <laughs> I'm just like, I love it. Yeah, I was like, this is this is this is good. Uh, which is not that I like doubted that, but I was like, she's just like the reverence of the man's stately rooms and how you know, people would come in and flock. He definitely gave like a feel for like what the state rooms of a sender uh, might look like. Yeah. Yeah, she was a brilliant writer. Yeah. And her stuff is still, like I said, editions of her diary in particular are still being published even today. So go seek her out. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about her death and legacy. Mm -hmm. She dies at the age of 76 on July 23rd, 1914 in Washington, D.C. Uh, so she was uh, alive for the Great Fire of Salem. I thought about that, too, but I was yeah. like, she probably didn't. I mean, maybe someone was like, oh, fire happened, but. I mean, if she'd gone to Salem State, which is where in the fire, right. probably like the homes of people she knew or had yeah, met or okay. maybe places she'd been. Because at that uh, point, it's been like 20 years. Yeah. It's been a while. Like, don't get me wrong. But, you know, if I, you know, 20 years from now, like somewhere like Bath or somewhere in England or like where I grew up, had, had I think I'd be in like a fire on that level. Yeah. Yeah. So. 
If you are in the D.C. area, you can go see her house, uh, which still stands in the DuPont Circle neighborhood of Northwest D.C. It is designated as a National Historic Landmark, um, although she only lived there from 81 to 86. So just a couple short years. And if you are in Salem, you can actually go visit Charlotte Fortin Park. Yeah, so just to the, uh, as you're looking at it, uh, to the right of uh, Lulu's Bakery and the Real Pirate Museum, uh, we have a new uh, park. I say new, it's been there for three years. Yeah, 2019 it was established, or Um, dedicated, I should say. And it's it's a pretty cool spot. It's right by the South River, um, sort of right across the street from uh, Charter Street Bearing Point. Uh, They have a lot of events there we had that that winter thing um was the f- there the fire festival the fire festival thank you was there i know on uh, sort of arts fest weekend there'll be uh, tents and vendors and things down there uh haunted happenings in october there's always uh activities and stuff going on there as well i tried to remember what it looked like and i did find a picture it was just like a grassy lot nothing was yeah, there yeah i was like what did we use this for and i remember, do you, do you remember? yeah the carnival the carnival for october yeah yeah, I used to sit right there. That was fun. Was that used to be a little carnival area, and now it's a, a nice little park. A lot of concrete. Yeah. Um, there's some swings there you can sit down on. You got a nice view of the South River, or at least what's left of it. When it's when the tide is up, it's a nice, yeah. <laughs> it's a nice view of the South River. Um, but they also have that little boardwalk that goes all around the, the river uh-huh. as well, so you can just sort of... Uh, if you want to take a little walk around there and, and you'll be abutting the backs of several of those buildings. We were both kind of disappointed to see that there's no like plaque or signage, signage or markings. I don't even know if there's like a like a Charlotte Fortin Park. Like I don't think that's known I, anywhere. I think we all know like as locals, right? Yeah. Fortin Park I, I think is typically what it tends to go to. Yeah. Um. Like, oh, this event's down at Fortin Park or Fortin Park. But I I had it in my mind that there was that there was a sign, that there was a plaque. Because if you go almost anywhere, if you go into Ropes Mansion Garden, if you go over to the wharf, if you go down to the Willows, if you go almost any other historical site, there is going to be something. And I think I just imagined that it was there. I just assumed that because I, I went down there. Uh, to read, I was like, "Oh, what's what does the park say about her?" And I'm like, "It doesn't say anything." There's, there's nothing here, uh, so I don't know if that's a. It could very possibly be something that they had planned on putting in, and just hasn't happened yet. Uh, I I would hope that's the case. I don't. Yeah, maybe COVID kind of messed it up. Yeah, yeah. Because I would love to see some type of anything, literally anything about her there. I mean, anything from a, a plaque to a, a bust, a statue, a, a, a sign, a, an anything. But I, I feel as though the fact that there is nothing must mean that whatever had been planned just hasn't happened yet. Hopefully. Yeah. I also saw under like the naming and dedication, unfortunately... It doesn't look like this park was designed with her in mind, which is kind of stunning to me. Yeah. So there was like a, did you see that there was like a voting thing on what it was going to be called? Yeah. 
And like there were multiple different options, including Nathaniel Bowditch Park, Nam Keg Park, 289 Derby. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thank goodness they didn't call it that. But it was, I will say, it's cool that the community was what chose her as the namesake. Yeah, so when that was all going down, I was actually um, more in favor of the 289 Derby name. Really? Because uh, the park design had already been built, right, or, or, or chosen. So we already had the layout of the space, and I, I don't know when the naming came around, but they were not, so it was like the park was nearly done or something. I can't remember the exact dates. Uh-huh. But I, I was sitting here, I was like, well, the park wasn't designed With. around the, the Namkeg people or around Bowditch or around Charlotte Fortin. It's, it's, it's it was, just a park. It's just a park. So just call it just a park. And if, if you're going to name a park or design a park after a person, like. You should have something in there that relates right, to that person. Right. Like if it had been uh, Namkeg people have it. You know, some indigenous cultural reference in the park. If it had been Bowditch, design it as like a map on the ground or like the coast of Salem or something like that. Or Charlotte Fortin have you know, some education books or, a t- you know. Yeah. Like there were things you could have built into the park if it was, but it had been designed and then named later. So. Man. Yeah, I was I was in favor of the just the address. Um, for that exact reason. Um, but at the same time... I'm really uh, glad they didn't go with just the address. <laughs> no offense to your choice, but... It, it does bring recognition uh, to the name, uh, which then hopefully uh, spurs... People some, to yeah, dive into the research. Hopefully we'll get a plaque or a post of some variety. Yeah, it needs a plaque. Yeah. I think it needs a, a, something. Yeah. Even just a quick little biographical sketch on her would be a great addition. There's our two cents, City of Salem. <laughs> For whoever's out there listening, and I, I know there are, are some uh, city people who, who do listen, so. Oh, I hope they don't judge us for that. <laughs> or I get an email tomorrow being like, okay, guys, listen, knock it off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think that wraps up our quick little yeah. overview of Miss Charlotte Fortin, Mrs. Charlotte Fortin Grimkey. <laughs> as we keep I saw somewhere her she has two middle names where did I see that Louise Bridges so it's Charlotte Louise Bridges Fortin Grimke it's a great name it sounds sounds royal right like it does know, the royals have like 12 names or whatever yeah I feel like she was a, a royal in her own right educator activist poet nurse an inspiration for sure But with that, thanks for listening. See you later.